Welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wortman coming to you live from the Dream Imagination Sports Studios. It is Friday, May the 31st. Thanks for tuning in. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call and all time zones in between. Thanks for joining the show this morning. Really excited here in just a few moments to get into a conversation with Joachim Steinberg of San Francisco City FC. Talk about his role with the club, the club itself, the the soccer scene in San Francisco. Um, this is a club that I that I visited in 2016. My family and I were out in San Francisco for uh, several days, and we had a chance to to take in a training session to also uh, talk to Jacques, who is their day to day CEO, you know, director of operations, all that uh, with the, with the club as well. And um, so it was a, it was a really good visit uh, several years ago. And excited to talk to Joaquin to talk uh, about his perspective on the club and uh, all things San Francisco City FC. So um, that will be coming up shortly after the break. Um, today is the day before the Champions League final. Um, and, uh, I, I'm excited, obviously, uh, with Barcelona, um, unable to, to do their job and finish their job against Liverpool. I will be, um, you know, proudly supporting Liverpool this, this Saturday. They are my second favorite club. And, um, it's funny, you know, I got some messages after the, after the, the semifinal, and uh, some of the messages there was a there was a you know some people that thought that my allegiance was to Liverpool over Barcelona, and and I'm not real sure why, but um, you know I had to correct them and tell them that no, today I'm hurting, but I'll use the 24 hour rule, and then after that I'll I'll continue to to be frustrated and mourn Barcelona's inability to complete their job, but I will be rooting for. Um, Liverpool in this final, no doubt about it. Uh, anytime they're playing anyone other than Barcelona, I, I am uh, going to be rooting for Liverpool. Uh, I really love the way that Klopp has handled this team, managed this team, led this team. There's been a lot of content coming out over the last few weeks uh, on social media about Jurgen Klopp. You should take a moment if you are in soccer coaching or, or if you're a soccer player, if you just love the game, it's worth it. Watch them, read about him. I mean, I'm telling you, the guy, to, in my view, is the greatest man manager in the game. Uh, I think the greatest manager in the game is, is Pep Guardiola. And I, and I don't think, um, you know, for me, that's, you know, uh, disputable. Uh, I think on the man management side, and this is not, this is not to say that Jurgen Klopp doesn't do well with tactics. I, I'm not saying that at all. Um, I, I think he's brilliant. Uh, I just think Pep Guardiola is a savant um, when it comes to tactics and, and that level. But when you talk about handling men, man manager, handling people, if you're if you're a coach on a ladies team, handling, you know, your your ladies on your team, um, there to me is none greater than than this guy. Um, and he is hands down the best interview 
in in management period um you've got nba coaches quoting the guy uh, Jurgen Klopp is a phenomenon and uh one of the one of the beauties of him coming to the Premier League from the Bundesliga and this is no knock on the Bundesliga it's just the reality the Premier League does a better job of promoting itself and it's it's one of the reasons why the league is just bigger in the eyes of the world than than pretty much every league in the world I don't necessarily say that to say that it's better I do think, though, that in the eyes of so many around the world, it's the biggest. There's more money there. There's more notoriety there. And him being in this league and, and being in the league at the same time as Pep Guardiola is just lush. It's awesome. And uh, I enjoy watching uh, his press conferences and, and his interviews. Obviously, his sideline antics as well. Um, he gets so excited. I, I just love everything about the guy, and um, he seems very genuine. Um, he's definitely on my list, along with Pep Guardiola, of, of you know interviews that I, I, I have circled that I really want to get to and, and find a way to get him on the show. Um, but he is he's, he's just brilliant, and so I, I look forward to... The match tomorrow, look forward to uh, hopefully a, a Liverpool victory and another European title. Um, a, after going through the, the near um, completion of a goal that's been decades um, in the making in terms of winning the Premier League, to, to have that pain and yet still be able to come back, beat Barcelona at home with that that comeback yes Barcelona definitely had to help them and they did they gave them everything they needed to to pull it off but give credit to Liverpool they they did the job for them to do that and and put themselves in a position to walk away with a a trophy um is remarkable and I think that comes down to the spirit in that locker room and, and Jurgen Klopp is a big part of that and and so It'll, it'll, it'll be a good match to see tomorrow. I I, I think that Liverpool's going to win. Um, I, I believe they're going to win. I hope they're going to win. And, and I'm obviously, you know, wearing a red hat. And so, um, you know, take what I say with a grain of salt. But I do think they're going to win. I think they're going to have the edge on Tottenham um, as long as they stay sound um in front of their own goal i don't think there's going to be a clean sheet here and i do think that both teams score but i think liverpool's going to win um in the end maybe like a 2-1-3-1 type of score line and um you know we'll see it, it would be i think very painful for liverpool to come out of the season with no trophies um tottenham you know I think they're going to be dangerous, so it's going to it's 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 got to be sound defensively, and you've got to have uh, the attack tuned up and kicking. And one of the good things about Liverpool having some extra time preparing for this game is I think they're going to be really fresh, and you know both teams are going to be prepared. But I think Liverpool and the way that they like to play when they have fresh legs. Uh, to me, it makes them even more dangerous because because some of the way that the tactics that that, that Jurgen likes to employ with his team. So um, it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see. It'll be fun to follow, um, but um, you know it'll it'll be a good match. Three p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, tomorrow on Saturday, June the 1st, Champions League final. If you are a fan of soccer, tune in, watch the game. It's going to be amazing. And, um, you know, you never walk alone. That's all I can say. Um, also, yesterday, the U.S. U-20 um, youth team uh, is in the U-20 World Cup. The, these guys uh, battled it out with a gritty performance. wasn't always pretty. We had, you know, there were several chances, a, a missed penalty kick, a couple other moments. Um, that they, they ended up winning one to zero. It could have been two, three, or four to zero, but uh, they did get it done. They did qualify for the knockout rounds. And look, 
when you're in a tournament, uh, one of the things that you have to be able to do is manage results. And 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 so uh, I didn't see this team, and this is, to me, a key differentiator here. I didn't see this team manage the result by changing the way they want it to play. A lot of times in the past, U.S. teams, if they if they needed to get a result, would bunker down. They would they would play without confidence in, in possession of the ball. This team, with these this group of young young players, are attempting to continue to play. A, a possession-oriented style. Is it perfect? No. Are they executing great all the time? No. Are they clinical in front of goal? No. Is this is this group of talent going to win the World Cup in 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 you know four or five years or, or look twenty twenty two three years? Probably not. Um, but is it encouraging to see progress in terms of seeing a group of of players that are attempting to, you know, play a possession style and stay true to that even when you need a result? Yes. And so for for me, that part was good. I, I felt like, um, you know, even though the, the execution was not great, uh, I felt like that was, um, you know, was a good moment for um, – for the program and for tab and his staff and these players, um, you know, you were playing a, a really weak opponent and you have to take that into account. There are some players yesterday that, you know, were, were okay, weren't great. Um, but overall the, the, the team, you know, did what they had to do. And when you're in a tournament format, that is the biggest thing. Look, no one's going to care if at the end of the day you're in a World Cup and you get the results and you win the thing, I mean, everybody can look back and go, man, I wish, you know, such and such would have been, you know, uh, handled differently or I wish this style would have been differently. No one's really caring about that. They're running around the streets of your of your city, of your country, celebrating a World Cup title. And that um, mentality of getting the result and, and and but yet also being able to stay true to the way you want to get the result even though you didn't execute it great is is a good sign for this group of players and I hope that that bleeds over into the senior team uh, because that is an element that uh, we have not had uh, in the senior in the senior program and and um, you know we need to see that that we need that kind of uh, dynamic play and that commitment to keep the ball and um, and play the way we want to play, whatever that is, you know. And so if, if it's counterattack, we stay true to that and we execute it well. If it's possession, then it's possession. And Tab has, has got this team and, and has put together a, a roster that is committed to trying to play a 4-3-3 style of possession. And, and so far they um, – you know, got off to a little bit of a slow start. They got through these last two mac matches, and we'll see, you know, if they they could build some momentum here going into the knockout rounds. And, you know, you never know how far this can go. Um, you know, th they know that they have to improve. If you read the comments from them after the match, you know they had to improve. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a journey, and this tournament is good preparation for the future for them. So good luck to these guys as they continue to bat battle it out on the field um, in Poland for the U-20 World Cup. Um, uh, big announcement here. Coming up on Monday, we will have Hope Solo joining the show. Um, this has uh, been an, an interview that we've been working to to, to get scheduled for um, quite a while and really excited to have that uh, uh, sorted out and have her on the show on Monday, June the 3rd. Uh, this coming Monday and uh, really excited to, to, to have her on and uh, she announced late last night uh, some really big news about uh, her case against uh, it's a discrimination case against U.S. soccer if you have not read or heard the news and we're going to get into this on Monday you should check her site out for more information hopesolo.com 
Again, that's HopeSolo.com. I really look forward to chatting with her on Monday and getting into her getting into it with her over the World Cup coming up and in a, a whole variety of topics. But that was some huge news. It was a first hurdle cleared in her case um, after some frustrations of, of procedure. And, uh, and so to find out more about that ruling that came out, um, that she was able to win, uh, in this, uh, in this fight for, um, you know, in her legal challenge is important and it's worth reading and learning about hopesolo.com. You can find out more information about that. And we will have her on the show on Monday. Really, really, really looking forward to that interview to that show on monday um and uh really excited to have her on and uh she's uh she's got a lot going on getting ready to to head over for the world cup and cover the world cup in france so um you know get her thoughts on that as well so really looking forward to that gonna be exciting to uh to see um and 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 to hear from her on monday june the 3rd so tune in on monday 9 a.m eastern as always on danielwortman.com coming up after the break we have joachim steinberg of san francisco city fc and uh we are gonna chat all things san francisco san francisco city fc look forward to that conversation coming up here in just a minute but first uh, our sponsor for the show is charity water you can learn more about charity water at charitywater.org they provide clean drinking water to people all over the world changing lives changing villages all over the place learn more about them at charitywater.org go there support their work it's incredible it is incredible so check them out and support them it would be it would be fantastic so charitywater.org we will be right back after this Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in this Friday morning. Uh, we are really delighted to have joining us Joachim Steinberg of San Francisco City FC. He is the chairperson of the San Francisco City FC Members Board. Joachim, welcome to the show and thanks for coming on this morning. Uh, hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me. So, um, before we get into all things San Francisco City FC, tell us a little bit about your background in the game. What what drew you to the to the beautiful game and wanting to follow it, uh, devote time to it, etc. It's a good question. Um, you know, I, my earliest memories of the game are sort of the '94 World Cup. I, I'm sure I paid attention to it beforehand. So there was some reason why I cared so much, but 
that kind of sold me into it. I don't have any playing background to speak of. I gave up playing by the time I got to high school. Um, I have some British family. I went over for a wedding when I was 10 or 12 and I was informed that I was in fact an Arsenal supporter. Um, and so I kept up with Arsenal over the years, which thankfully gotten much easier <laughs> over the past couple decades. Um, and I was lucky enough to travel a lot when I was younger, particularly in college and sort of, it was a thing that I kept coming back to, kept seeing games in different countries, kept meeting people who were involved in it, you know, playing pickup games. Um, and so I don't know that it was any one thing. I can think of some specific moments. I happened to be in France when they won the European Championship in 2000, which was one of the more fun experiences watching a game when I wasn't actually in a stadium. But I think it was just sort of over time, um, really just realized this was something I cared a tremendous amount about. Um, with San Francisco FC in particular, I, uh, you know, I, I'm not from San Francisco. I'm from New York. And before I moved here, I was living in Detroit and I hadn't paid a ton of attention to the American lower divisions. And I wound up going to a Detroit City game. I think it was on an OKCupid okay date, but I can't quite remember. And liking it enough to buy membership and went back to almost every home game that year in 2013. And then moved out to San Francisco and we had an MPSL team here. I went on the website and there was like a section for supporters. You click on it and like a banner like coming soon comes up. And so I sort of figured I would go back to supporting Arsenal, supporting a few other clubs and, you know, following Detroit. And then someone emailed me saying that they found me through the Bay Area Gooners, like our local Arsenal supporters group. And maybe I'd like to go to a, a San Francisco City match. So I went to one and halftime, me and my now wife wandered over to the supporter section and had such a good time. We, again, became members right away, kept coming back. And within a year, I was elected to the board of directors. So that's sort of how I wound up here. So so it sounds like you and I have the same disease. We we show up, we we love it, we get involved. Um, and, and so that's awesome. I, I love to hear those kind of stories. So you, you, you're in San Francisco and you've been there for a few years now. The club that that you were were around and and now a part of, um, how long had it been operating when when you you know first kind of came in contact with San Francisco City? So the club started in two thousand and one um, as a local club. Um, we have out here the San Francisco Soccer Football League. It is either the oldest or second oldest with the Cosmopolitan League in New York. I'm actually not sure which is older. Sort of continuously playing soccer league in the country. Um, they have several divisions, including Pro Rel. And it was just founded by someone who wanted to put a team in that division for he and his friends to play on. Um, and sometime in 2012 or 2013, I've never been entirely sure on the chronology a group of people who had essentially met online or through various supporters groups in the, in the city got together and started talking about creating a more serious team playing in a national league. And one of those guys, uh, Jacques, our current president had played for SF city in the SFSFL and suggested that it was like a good club for this purpose. It had, you know, a name that obviously represented the city. It had this great crest um, and it had history in this league. And so this group of people sort of started working on taking that team, and we still have a squad that plays in the SFSFL, but using that team to advance towards um, the more recognized national leagues. Um, this was roughly speaking 2014, I think. There was an application for the MPSL that was blocked, and we wound up going into NorCal Premier. Um, and while we were playing, we played there through 2015 when we joined the PDL. I went to my first match sometime in 2015 um, and was elected to the board starting in January 2016. And that was like, so I think that's right. Well, that that that's crazy. I was actually, so I met up with Jacques. Um, my <laughs> family and I were out there spring of 2016. So you were just on the board a few months when yeah. uh, when when I came to town, we actually met up with Jacques and checked out uh, some preseason training while we were there. I believe it was in April of 2016, 
and um, it was uh, he, he apologized because we got out there. I, I'm not sure where you guys are training now. Um, back then, you were training at the fields by the Dutch windmills out at the uh, yeah Beach Chalet. Yes, and uh, they had you know recently been uh, turfed. And there, it was really nice fields, but we, we get out there, and, and I had been out there uh, before uh, during that week doing some, some soccer stuff uh, with my kids, but whenever we showed up that night, it was like a freak, you know, weather pattern had come in, and it was, you know, April, and it was like 30 degrees and, you know, 30-mile-an-hour <laughs> winds, and, uh, and, and Jacques was like, dude, I'm so sorry. This is not normal, but like, it's cold. <laughs> and, uh, so we talked for, for a little bit. We watched a little bit of the training with the team and, and, uh, which we enjoy doing when we're traveling around and, um, and, and you know, we're able to kind of have a little bit of a, a brief discussion with him about the club and kind of, you know, you know, the story of the club and getting ready for, for that 2016 season. So, uh, it's crazy that, that, that those timelines kind of line up with you joining the board and mm-hmm. us getting out there around uh, that same time. So you've been you've been with the club and, and involved with the club, and, and it's important to point out, and one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on to kind of talk about the story of San Francisco City is that the club is a, a supporter-owned club. It's a membership-based club, and... Um, you know, we're coming off of a, a, a weekend where we saw, um, you know, Union Berlin uh, for the first time ever make its way into the Bundesliga in Germany, a similar model to, to San Francisco City FC. Tell, me, tell us a little bit about the model of the club in terms of its ownership structure, its membership, etc., Sure. Um, I actually, I think I forgot to mention that the people who were originally talking about higher level soccer in the city, supporter ownership was always one of the key values of that group. And part of it is just the, the history in San Francisco and in the Bay Area on a broader scale of teams leaving, of teams folding. Um, we've had an awful number of soccer teams come through here that have not lasted very long. And we wanted to create something that was organic and sustainable and not at the whims of someone else. Um, the you know, our model is a little bit complicated. I'm a big believer that there's not one right way to do supporter ownership. There's a lot of different ways and you have to figure out the way that's going to work for your team and for, and for your goals. Um, but our model is essentially designed to solve two problems. Um, it's designed to maintain supporter control over the club and allow the right amount of investment to come up for the club to participate at increasingly high levels of soccer. Um, the the basic model is that when the team started and we went into NorCal Premier at first, we were just a California nonprofit. There was an elected board, bought a membership, you voted, and you know the, there was a team staff, including Jacques, and they did things and they reported to the board of directors. Um, it gets very hard to do that if you want to raise the kind of money we, we needed to to go into PDL and to, to keep going forward. And so we created a structure where we have sort of an LLC that is that oversees everything. And there's a three person board for that LLC. One of the in- seats goes to the operations team. It's currently Jacques. Another seat goes to an investor representative. That's currently Andras. And then a seat goes to a member representative. And I currently sit in that position. It doesn't actually have to be a board member in practice. It always has been. Um, and then the members board still operates essentially as a California nonprofit in support of the club, but club operations are run by the LLC. Um, We've also worked into our operating agreement, eight or 10 things that require the unanimous consent of that three person board to do. So major changes to the kit, allowing in new sponsors, allowing in new investors, moving the club, um, things that we thought were what supporters really cared about when they wanted to care about owning a team are the things that require the consent of the membership through their representative on that LLC board. Um, This allows us to take an investment and make the amount of equity that the members hold in the club slightly less important um, because we naturally have the ability to control what we think are the key issues. You know, there is a distinction you should draw between supporter control and literal supporter ownership. 
while we currently are at the 51% model, we've developed a system where even if we went below that, we could effectively maintain control over the club for key issues. And I think that's really important. That is something that uh, is a bit unique when we're when you're talking about the the ownership structure and the involvement of membership. And I'm really glad we've gotten into this because I, I think a lot of times people look at clubs and they break them down into very monolithic, you know, blocks. So you have supporter owned or controlled and, and you've got either either kind of a Bundesliga style hybrid or you know, straight up 100%, you know, supporter owned. And then you've got, you know, the the um, clubs that are owned by a single, you know, uh, person of wealth. And, and you kind of go down through some of the different variations, etc. Looking at San Francisco City FC and the way that you guys have baked into your operations and your structure and your system, you have created a sense of accountability into decision making that is vital to to keeping the essence of you know some support, supporter control in the in the voices of the supporters what what does it take to be a supporter of san francisco city fc in terms of an op- obligations are there financial obligations are they annual are they required to do you know you know so much uh, volunteer time with a club? What are the, the obligations to become a member? So straight up membership is very simple. We have, I think, four tiers of membership. There's lifetime membership, which is $500. And um, we've found ways to, to allow people to, to structure that if they, they want to become a lifetime member. That's too heavy an ask at any one given time. Um, we have season ticket memberships that are $60. We have memberships that are $40. And then we have ambassador memberships. So if you don't live in one of the nine counties of the Bay Area, you can buy a $25 membership. And there's, there's sorry, there's also a family membership, um, which is a slightly discounted four pack of memberships. Um, and if you buy one of those memberships, you're a member. How much you wanna get involved, how much you wanna do is totally up to you. Um, our supporter group, for instance, the Northsiders, anyone can just go and stand with them, but they give out patches every year. And you know, while many of us on the board are also Northsiders, it's totally independent and they accept nothing from the club. Um, and for that, they have requirements like attending, you have to attend a community service event or go to an away match or help paint a TIFO uh, in order to earn your patch for the year. But as a member, you really can just buy membership and then decide your level of involvement. What we found is that people want to get involved. People want to go to community service events and people want to become part of the club because of that sense of ownership and the community that's around it. Um, To go back to what you said about the different models, that's absolutely true. There's lots of different models. As I said before, I think what model you use really should match your aspirations as a team and what problems you're trying to solve. For us, at least, a big problem in San Francisco is just class inequality. I mean, we can talk about other things that are happening in the city. We can talk about, you know, things at a national level, but you can capture a lot of the issues in the city right now just through the rubric of class inequality. And because of that, it's very important to us that we stay as affordable as possible. Um, We don't want to go to a model where in buying into the club requires a significant investment um, because the amount of money you would need to raise money on a 100% model would put it out of reach of a lot of people in the city. And we just don't want to contribute to, to that. We want to keep providing you know, an opportunity for recreation and to get involved in the team that is within reach of most San Franciscans. Um, in other communities, you might have a different set of concerns and you might want to, want to come up with a model to address those. <laughs> Uh, that that definitely makes sense. Being uh, in San Francisco, and uh, and I just I have to say this on the record: it is my favorite city in California. Um, and uh, sorry for all of you SoCal, uh, you know, friends of mine. But uh, San Francisco, I, I I'll tell you this: uh, Eric Winalda and I, when I was he and I were working together on his campaign, we were 
in the Bay Area for some meetings, and this would have been uh, January of 2018, so a little, you know, almost a year and a half ago. And we were driving up, you know, the peninsula from San Jose up into San Francisco for a meeting, and uh, I, I just. I turned to Eric as I, as I was driving and I said, this right here is my, you know, one of the most beautiful places in America. And it's just this, you know, drive into the city. And, um, and I, and I told him, I was like, if I, if I lived in California, this would be like at the top of my list. Of course, you know, I'd have to figure out how, how my wife and kids felt about that. But, um, but for me personally, I just, I love the city and, and, you know, knowing, uh, and, and having been there and visited the city, what, what is the vibe in the city in terms of San Francisco city? Have you, have you been able to continue to grow the support there, the supporters group, or have they been able to kind of grow as, as a supporters group? How has that interaction with the city of San Francisco been? I think it's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, there's always stumbling blocks. Um, it's we have been growing year over year. The supporters section grows in particular. Um, I think it's we don't keep very precise numbers on sort of who's sitting in the supporters section versus who's just like watching from an ordinary seat. But anecdotally and based on the sense that I think all of us have had, the supporters section tends even on a year-to-year basis where matches have the same or within sort of an ordinary variance drop-off or increase in attendance, the supporter section year-over-year keeps getting bigger and bigger, which is great. Um, look, it's it's not an easy market to crack in a lot of ways. It's in San Francisco, surprisingly for a city as sort of geographically small as it is, can be very neighborhoody. People often stick to their neighborhoods. Um, there's a lot of different subcultures and a lot of different groups of people to hit up. There's a lot to do, especially in the summer when our season runs, like, you know, you're two hours from Napa, you're two hours essentially from the Russian river, people get out of town quite a bit. And so all of that presents obstacles. But I think, you know, our general experience has been that once we get people in the door, they start coming back. What, has been the connection if at all with youth players and youth soccer and in in that kind of culture in the city or or in the surrounding areas of the city has there been work and efforts put forth in terms of connecting with youth teams or youth players uh youth clubs in the area there has been um we so we had a youth team. We wound up eliminating our youth program a couple of years ago in favor of a free clinic model. Um, there were a lot of it was a very hard decision. There was a lot that went into it. But one thing we were finding is that there are a lot of AYSO level and other youth teams around, and it was kind of weird to be asking people to come and support the men's team for a club when they'd be playing against kids wearing the same colors the next week. Um, we also, as a board organization, have like very serious problems with the pay-to-play system, and we couldn't find a way around that. Um, there was, you know, we did as much as we could to keep our program affordable, and it's just very, very difficult. And we sort of didn't want to continue to participate um, in in that if we weren't going to be able to to make to make a bigger dent in that system. Instead, we started clinics. Um, we're still sort of trying to perfect the formula for funding them and organizing them. Um, but we worked with charitable organizations like America Scores, a great group, and Street Soccer USA to put on free clinics for kids, um, which have been very well attended and often, you know, a very interesting, like a mix of kids who don't ordinarily get to play soccer together in the city, which is kind of cool. Um, we've also developed partnerships with youth clubs that are not our youth club, but are sending members our way, are sending us ball boys, are sending us kids to, you know, um, to try out when they're aging out of the youth program and going up to the men's level, such as San Francisco Elite Academy. Um, So we're obviously very involved with youth soccer, but not in a conventional, we have a youth club, we, we take in money through it, 
way that you might see in other clubs. Um, and we're still really trying to, to figure out the best way to do that. I'm very optimistic about our clinics. I'm very optimistic about our partnership with SF Elite. So hopefully we'll, we'll get it down in a year or two. Playing, where, where are you guys currently playing your matches for, for the, your, your first team in, in the city? Is it, is it still at the university there, or, or are you playing in another location now? Uh, we're back at Kizar Stadium. Um, which is which, where the you know, Deltas played for that one season, is that correct? Yeah, it's where the Deltas played that one year. It's also a former home of the Niners and briefly the Raiders, um, as well as, as far as I know, the Golden Gales back in the 60s and California Victory a little more recently, so it has a fair amount of history to it. It's a cool. Um, it's a cool, cool stadium. There, you're you're driving, and then you like literally just drive up on it out of a almost like a neighborhood feel. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's, what what's the environment like on game day there with with San Francisco City and the supporters? Is it is it got a, a really good vibe in terms of attendance and pregame, uh, postgame yeah, kind so of the, environment? Um, you know, pregame we generally tailgate in the parking lot next to it. Um, you know, this is actually a, a cool story about sort of how, how the club operates on an organic level. A couple of years ago, we put together a charity tournament called battle of the bars where like the bar staff from various places in the city came out and like played street soccer matches against one another to raise money for charity. Um, and we folded it in with our kit release for that season. And I was talking to someone who had played in it. Um, and like asked him what it, he was wearing. He was representing one bar, but he was wearing a hoodie from a, a different brewery. So I asked him what his connection to the brewery was. And he was like, oh, I'm the owner. I'm like, oh, that's cool. He's like, yeah, this is great. I'll buy a membership. So he bought a membership and he showed up to the first game of the season, loved it, showed up the next time with like a pony keg for the supporters, <laughs> wound up running for the board of directors. We currently like often have board meetings and team events at the brewery <laughs> through this board member. Um, it's standard deviant brewery if anyone wants to lift them up and so like that's that's sort of a, a good example of sort of the the way in which people keep getting involved and the club develops um pregame's pretty fun um usually an hour or two before kickoff people are getting together um the game atmosphere is fantastic um especially you know i can only really speak to the supporter section because except for one half of my first game I've only ever watched SF City matches from the supporters section. Uh, the two sort of big problems with Keys are, are it's big. You know, the, the seats are for about 9,000. And so even when we draw what I would consider a pretty good crowd for P, like for USL2 soccer, it can feel sort of cavernous. It feels like those old like MLS matches back in the day, like giant stadium for the Metro Stars. Um, when you draw a perfectly good crowd and the sound would just evaporate, um, you know, our, our supporter section, less of a problem because we're in bleachers and we pack in pretty tight. Um, the other big thing is just there's a track setting off the pitch from the stands. So you're a little bit removed from the action. Um, at our old stadium at Nicolesco at USF, you're right on top of the pitch and obviously prefer that. But it's hard to beat the like history and visuals of Kizar. So. Yeah, it it. For for anyone who gets an opportunity to head out to San Francisco and and go by Kizar Stadium, it it is it is a throwback and um, it it is worth you know checking out um, and and you know when when you get into an old stadium like that, there's always going to be quirks to the stadium and uh, but it it is a very cool little uh, stadium there and a cool vibe in the city. And, you know, being what it is in terms of the density, population density and and in uh, the setup of San Francisco to have that in the city is is a really, really cool thing. Um, looking at your club, what, what are the 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 conversations like between the supporters group as well as as the the, the, the members of the club? in regards to ambition. What do you guys want to do as a team, as a club, as you continue to build year in, year out? Uh, what, you know, what are kind of some of your mid, you know, maybe mid-range, long-term goals uh, for the club? You know, I think in the mid-range, we would like to go professional. Um, I, mid to short range, you know, it's a matter of matching the right investors or investor group and the right league 
with our club's philosophy um, and finding the right venue to support it, which might be keys or might not be. Um, and that's obvious. Th those are all big challenges, but stuff that we spend a lot of time working on and we're trying to address. Long term, you know, look, we want to be at as high a level as we can possibly get. Um, you know, I don't, I, I think, I think I'm going to answer this a little bit backwards, which is to say what are, these have sort of always been the like long-term goals of the club, but from at least the time when I got involved and from talking to the guys who were involved a little longer than me, from the founding of, of the club, at least uh, moving it out of, of the local leagues, we wanted something that was sustainable and forever. And we think we've achieved that in the sense that we have this members organization that owns the intellectual property to the club that has rights in the club and that if there was some catastrophe and we went broke tomorrow the club and its members would still exist and if we go back to playing in parks <laughs> with a couple <laughs> with a couple bleachers lined up outside them i know there's a group of you know 50 to 100 people who are still going to be out there banging a drum and cheering for them so our first goal was just create something that really was going to outlive this cycle of supporters, this group of people, um, and that could never be taken away. Now we're in a position where I think we've, we've achieved that and we've got, we've got some decisions to make about what, that are contingent on what the future of American soccer looks like. Um, been doing this long enough to know that I, I, predictions are kind of useless. I have no idea how, for instance, the lawsuit in the court of arbitration for sport is going to shake out what's going to happen in the various USSF lawsuits, what NISA is going to look like, um, what USL is planning to do. So there's a lot of questions there, which means for long-term goals, you know, ask me in five years. Um, I don't even know what, what's possible. I do know that it's now that I can tell you that it is possible to create a club that has an existence that is not dependent on your league staying together or on the the powers in U.S. soccer deciding that you still get to be a team. Well, I think I think that's one of the big parts here is that you you guys have you know trade stay true to uh, your big goal, which is to build a sustainable, viable club, and then. As you continue to grow and as you continue to look ahead, you're you're constantly looking for opportunities and ways to build, ways to do certain things. Uh, you know whether that that's becoming professional, uh, what league you play in, etc. When you when you look at San Francisco City FC, what are some of the lessons that that you think would help other clubs around the country in terms of? forming a club, staying true to its ideals, becoming sustainable, building towards viability. What are some of those lessons that you guys have learned in building San Francisco City FC? That's a really good question. Um, so first, pay attention to what people are telling you. Um, you want to go out and talk to a lot of supporters and you want to be listening to what people in the community are telling you about their experiences with other clubs and just in general. Um, that seems obvious. It turns out not to be. Second, plan for the future on a structural level. Um, when I talked earlier about like the structure we have in place to maintain supporter ownership, it's not, it hasn't really been a problem for us. I don't think we've ever had to use our veto power. I don't think there's been major conflicts. Um, there's been some minor stuff around the edges and there's been some arguments that we've had. And obviously a sign of a strong organization is that it can tolerate some amount of disagreement. Um, but we're building for a future in which we don't know what the next group of investors are. We don't know who the group of investors after that are. We really don't know what the future holds. So we want to make sure those structures are in place. I think very few clubs in the lower divisions, particularly third and fourth divisions of American soccer, are going to go more than a couple of years without having 
a new challenge, a new roadblock, a new problem. And you don't want to be creating your structures based in, t in the face of a crisis. And you don't want to be having to do it after everything's fallen to pieces because you weren't prepared for that. Um, third thing is let your supporters be independent. Um, like that is your organic community. Like obviously the safety and security stuff comes in, but do not try to interfere with the culture. Um, I think those are the biggest three lessons. I'm sure there's other stuff I've learned and there's obviously tons of stuff I've learned, you know, sort of unique to the San Francisco market or unique to our club that are that's gonna be less useful for other people to hear. But I would say those are the, the biggest three things I could tell you off the top of my head. So look, looking at those lessons, you know, listening, I think that is, is a very good point there because uh, in business, in life, running a soccer club, it's easy to get caught up with our own ideas. Like, oh, I, I, this would be really cool, and then we want to run with it, but we never stop to actually listen to the market, listen to the the people that, that we're in relationship with who may have some valuable insight or feedback that can either totally change your idea or shape your idea, et cetera, or, or, in, or in the case of a soccer club, improve your ability to connect with the community. Um, planning for the future on a structural level that's a, a another really good point as well because th there are oftentimes a, a tendency when you are launching a club or launching a business or a project to think about things only in the present like we're trying to get started let's just get this and 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 in doing so if you don't have some planning and structural planning for the future you may find yourself in in six months a year two three years from now and you're going man we've got a mess and we don't know how to clean it up and part of that is because you didn't go through some conflict resolution in the beginning when you set up the whole project whether that's a soccer club again or a business and then you know letting supporters be independent i i think organic in interaction and organic uh support is should be cherished in this country quite frankly we we don't have enough of it and and the fact that we see so so often uh a lot of supporters groups run into run into issues um you know from leagues or whatever i i think it, it's it's great that san francisco city is basically saying hey guys you know be you do you and and ultimately they're going to be some of your biggest fans anyway um, and so, you know, encouraging that is healthy, um, for the club and, you know, and for the city itself, they're, they're basically built in ambassadors for your club in the city, wherever they are, you know, whatever neighborhood they're from, whatever, you know, part of the city they're from that, you know, they're, they're going to be, you know, bleeding San Francisco city FC and talking San Francisco City FC with with friends with neighbors etc and uh, and that that those are parts that that help you grow what what looking at your club and, and looking at your involvement with San Francisco City FC over the last few years what are some things that that you would look at and go man we learned this and we wish we would have you know maybe done something differently it, it, do you have any of those things where if you could go back and do it again you might do something different yeah and of course there are you know there's there were ad, you know, there were moments when certainly as a board of directors i don't think we stepped in early enough to address like things that we should have been more on top of, um, I think we have spent time on, we've spent a lot of time reforming our process. You know, we, we have a big board of directors. We have nine people, which is a large board for an organization of our size. Um, and we've spent time figuring out how to manage both wanting to have a big enough board that we have bandwidth for people who are doing this entirely as volunteers in their spare time and we're getting a variety of different voices and also, you know, managing that size. 
And so I can think back and think, you know, should have been willing to make a change in how we were organizing this a little earlier. Specific things, you know, a lot of that stuff is highly specific. Um, it, you know, I can point to ways in which we've marketed where we've just sort of like missed the mark in what events we should be promoting at the expense of others or have gotten a way more enthusiastic response to something that we thought was going to be kind of small um, and trying to learn how to, how to better predict that and listen to people in advance to get that done. I don't know that talking about specifics is going to be very helpful to anyone else. Um, I would say to sort of add on to this idea that we were talking about before about listening to people, though, that there is one caveat I should give, which is, you know, open-mindedness and listening to ideas is incredibly important. Maintaining a healthy skepticism, especially to the entrenched establishment of soccer, I think is also very important for clubs. Um, you know, it, at the highest level, sort of the quickest way to get power in American soccer seems to be either play for the national team or have been friends with Chuck Blazer. Um, it's a problem in sports. You get a lot of people involved in the sport who think there is one way and a right way to do something. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. Um, you really need a board that's going to exercise independent judgment and is going to be rethinking things periodically because what we're trying to do and really what everyone in the lower divisions of soccer in this country is trying to do is basically unprecedented in American sports. Well, I, I, I do think it's unprecedented. There's no doubt about that in, in the point that you bring up in terms of, you know, connection and, and gatekeepers and access, et cetera, is, is a key point for a lot of lower division clubs, clubs like San Francisco City FC, being able to, you know, get access and and work your way uh, to the top in, in the system. I mean, one of the one of the restrictions on clubs is the the divisional requirements in Division One, Division Two, and Division Three. If you play in a professional league sanctioned by U.S. Soccer as a professional league, um, is you know very much focused on net worth of ownership and in a lot of caveats into that element in, in really kind of sets aside the club itself, whether the club is actually viable. Can the club pay its bills? Well, how can it pay its bills? Well, here's, here's our plan. Here's what we do. In the case of a San Francisco city FC, when you are dealing with a, a club trying to play in a, you know, say a third division in, in American soccer, you've got to have an owner who's worth $10 million outside of his personal residence and his ownership stake in the club. And in, and when you put those kind of restrictions on a club, it doesn't mean that, that, you know, clubs can't go find some investment, but you know, you look at a club like Ibar in Spain, um, they were so financially healthy that, that La Liga were concerned because they were, they, they were like, well, we're not sure you guys don't have any debt. We're not, we don't know what to do with that. <laughs> and, and Ibar is like, because we yeah. figured out how to do our business well and we pay our bills. Um, everyone else is running debt. We're not, we're good. And, and so, you know, having room for different models, it, that's an area where you look at kind of the, some of the, the professional league standards set up by us soccer that have been, in my view, misapplied to what they should be about. It should be more akin to what you see over in Europe in that league standards are based on, you know, club viability. Can you prove you can pay your bills? I can show you, and I'm sure you can as well, The a, a laundry list of wealthy people who had no idea how to run a soccer club and – ended up, you know, doing more harm to the to the club that they purchased than good and in the end had to walk away in disgrace and sell to somebody else. Um, the fact that you Look, you have money doesn't mean you know the the business you're in. So um, you know, that that I mean, to, it, I'm it, a lifelong uh, Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> you know, I'm a lifelong Mets and Knicks fan. You never need to explain to me that there's an awful lot of people who have, you know, more dollars than cents involved in sports. Um 
I think you're completely right about the professional standards. They served a very important function for a brief period in MLS's development, but at, net, at this point, they are simply preventing investment groups from coming forward. Um, simply making it a single owner rather than a consortium that can be put together fundamentally limits the amount of people who can possibly get involved. Um, it's also not clear to me that these league standards are working in any meaningful sense, right? We've had you know, tons of teams collapse in the professional ranks who theoretically who must have met the professional league standards or gotten a waiver from them. Um, we have tons of MLS teams that are, run, are running debt. And certainly if you factor out like real estate plays connected to MLS teams are definitely running huge amounts of debt. Um, and I guess the defender of the league standards would say, well, they haven't folded, but we, we nearly saw the crew move. We, we have seen teams move in the past. We have seen teams fold even under the league standard. It's just not clear to me what purpose they're serving anymore. Um, and they do impact how teams are going to raise money and how teams can move up. And it, it has become exclusionary. Well, I think you, I think that last word you used is, is really the point of them all exclusionary and it's unfortunate it's a it, it kind of goes back to the posture of, of the federation that bothers me the most that instead of being inclusive and providing access and opportunity to anyone based on their own merit we exclude people clubs etc um and and that mentality is not going to going to get us to a place where american soccer can ever reach its potential one of the things that Eric Winalda said during the campaign that, that I thought was so poignant is he said that we are never going to develop elite players in an elitist system. And, um, and, and so we see that in the professional league standards. We see it how clubs are, are handled in and out of leagues. Uh, we see it with players and player opportunities, coaches, scouts. I mean, we can go through every single – uh, person or role in U.S. soccer and see how elitism has negative effects on uh, that you know particular you know person or role in the federation. So you know I, I think that if we can ever get to a place where our federation and our clubs um, you know place opportunity and access at the top of the le- the list in terms of uh, priorities you know, we will all be better for it and, and all, uh, benefit from it as well. So, um, how can people, you know, follow your story with San Francisco city FC? How can people follow the club and get to know more information? Or maybe they're coming out to San Francisco this summer to, uh, you know, vacation or whatever, and they want to check out a match. Where can they find out more information? So our website is sfcityfc.com. Um, we have a fairly active Twitter presence. We're on Instagram. Um, I think the handles are just at SF City FC on both of those. Um, people can feel free to message me directly on Twitter. It's uh, SF Joachim or email me, J O A C H I M is in Mary at SFCityFC.com. Um, people want to support us and they want to buy ambassador memberships. That's fantastic. People want to come out to a match. You know, we can always find a way to get our fans from around the world. Uh, comp ticket if we really have to <laughs> um but yeah we're, we're streaming all of our home games on mycujo.com this year and you know usl's website can you can keep track of the standing fantastic well look i really do appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your insights in, in the san francisco city fc story your involvement in the story and and the impact and presence that the club has in San Francisco. Best of luck this summer as you guys uh, continue uh, in your 2019 season um, in, in all of your endeavors there in San Francisco. So thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. That is Joachim Steinberg of San Francisco City FC. I really appreciate him coming on, sharing some insight about the club, its story, its history, um, and and some of the lessons that he shared, I, I think are really good lessons for clubs all over this country that you can apply to 
where you are, your context, and make your club better. So thanks for joining the show this week and uh, for all of our guests who, who have stopped in and stepped in uh, and joined the show. We really do appreciate um, you know you, all of their, their insight and their time uh, on the show. And I'd like to thank all of you for watching um, the show. Tomorrow's a big game. Um, and uh, I, I say it all the time. I am a Barcelona fan first and foremost, but Liverpool are my second favorite club. I'm, I uh, am hoping tomorrow is a very, very good day for uh, all supporters of Liverpool all over the world. Best of luck to the guys as uh, they compete for uh, the second year in a row for the Champions League title. So we will see how it goes and uh, follow up with everyone on Monday. Everyone have a great weekend. We'll see everybody then.